0: Welcome to the Small Bowler Podcast. My name is Trevor Reddick, and as always, I'm joined by a man who is very excited that Tom Brady has yet another Super Bowl, Brandon Siegel. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. I don't know if if I'd put that under my belt, as Tom Brady is not my favorite player of all time. In fact, he'd be towards the bottom of the list. Um, And it was honestly quite a boring Super Bowl at the end of the day, but he does have another one. He's got number seven. He's, if not the best player of all time, Definitely the best quarterback of all time, without a doubt. Uh, I know a man who would share at least the second part of that opinion, of course, is third member of this podcast, Ben O'Brien. Ben, how are you doing today?
2: I mean, I I don't know how you're doing, Brandon, but I'm doing fantastic. I love Tom Brady. I'm always happy to see him win another Super Bowl. Uh, And I've been fortunate enough, Brandon, to know you for uh, for three of these Super Bowl championships that he's won. So I I love when he wins it because I know it doesn't make you too happy typically. So um, I'm in a great mood today. I'm, I'm excited to get going.
1: And today we actually have a very special guest. It's a podcast alum, one of my dear friends, who is now coaching basketball at Covenant College Prep. I think I—I th- I could be wrong, but I think it's in North Carolina. Is that correct?
3: You're very off. It's in New Jersey. No, is that
1: correct? New oh, Jersey. Not I even, was close. Not even close. It was in New Jersey. We have no in here today. Noah, how are you doing I'm today? I'm doing
3: well. Doing well. Glad to be back. I—I I consider myself a friend of the podcast now, as they say. So.
1: You are a hundred percent a dear friend, not not just a friend, a dear friend
3: dear friend, dear friend of the podcast, dear friend of, the podcast. Dear um, friend of very, the podcast.
1: Yes, yes, we're incredibly excited to have you back on and talk a little bit about coaching. As not every one of our friends coaches, you know, a, a college level basketball team, so it's going to be very interesting to hear what you have to say about that. But let's get started into the episode first. Let's do a little bit of our Super Bowl recap. Trevor, I'm just going to throw this one to you first because um, I don't really want to talk about Tom Brady, even though he had quite an amazing game. But uh, I'll throw it to you. 31-9, to 9, what are your thoughts on the game?
0: Yeah, so I know a lot of people, you know, they, they would consider it a boring Super Bowl, and I totally understand it um, because it was a blowout. It was 31-9. to 9, um, But for me, I think any time we get two really great quarterbacks in a game— you know, and we kind of get to see kind of the chess match between you got like Todd Bowles, the Bucks defense versus this uh, really good Chiefs offense. And then on the other side, the Bucks offense, Chiefs defense, uh, you know, with Andy Reid, it, it's really great to see. And that's the same. I think it's similar to how I felt about when we saw Ohio State play Clemson back in the, uh, uh, the college football playoff semis. You know, even though in the end that game wasn't super close, Ohio State started to run away with it. I really enjoyed that game as well. So it's a similar thing here. Um, now, obviously, you know, in, in this game, it, it became clear, um, and it was surprising to me about how bad the offensive line for the Chiefs was, how easy it was for, you know, Jason Pierre-Paul and, you know, some of those other guys on the defensive line, linebackers, to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes. I I did uh, expect them to get pressure, but... That was just another level of pressure that I haven't really seen since arguably the that 2013 Super Bowl with the Seahawks-Broncos when Peyton Manning, uh, I mean, they were completely overwhelmed with that really good offense. It was kind of similar to that. It reminded me of that. Um, and it was strange because against the Bills, we didn't really see the Chiefs have – as many problems like that they put up 38 points the offensive line yes we knew about the injuries you know like Eric Fisher and some of their other starting offensive linemen that haven't been there for a decent part of the season but it seemed like you know the Chiefs they're 14-2 and two. they they were they're the defending champions it felt like that when you have Patrick Mahomes you have Travis Kelsey Tyra Kill that it wouldn't matter mm-hmm. even with a banged up offensive line, they would be okay. They'd still maybe find a way to either win or at least, you know, it would be a close game. So, you know, coming into it, I thought that the bucks had a great chance, but you know, you can never like, you can, it's hard to go against Mahomes. It's hard to go against this offense. So I, I felt decent about the bucks chances, but I was really split overall. Like I was 50, 50. I was uh, honestly like, I, I don't know who's going to win. I think go either way. Um, so, yeah, with the Chiefs side, it's, it really just was unfortunate because Mahomes, um, you know, he didn't really have a lot of time to throw. He was constantly backpedaling, constantly trying to scramble out, and it made it very tough on him, you know, which really there's no quarterback that could have won that game for the Chiefs on, on last Sunday. Now, from the Bucs' standpoint, I thought uh, Tom Brady played very well. Uh, the first half, he was 16 of 20. Um, you know, he had the two touchdowns. A uh, couple to Gronk there. That was nice to see. Um, and then also Fournette played very well. You know, I've been um, a little critical of, like, the first down runs that the Bucs have done so often. They kind of strayed away from that a little bit. We saw some more play action. We didn't see uh, quite as many first down runs. But when we did see them, they did work well. I mean, this Chiefs defense, like that talked about last week, like one of their— uh, issues, one of their, you know, points that you can kind of take advantage of is their run defense. Their run defense has had problems. And we saw Fournette, you know, he had 89 yards, averaged almost six yards per carry. So he did a good job there. And then obviously, you know, you had, uh, you know, Fournette in the in the passing game as well, caught a few passes. And it was just a really great team effort from the Bucks. I think overall, that's exactly what you would want if you're, um, you know, Bruce Arians, if you're Todd Bowles. And that, that was, just, that was it essentially the perfect game for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's the best game they've played all year. And, you know, that's the perfect time to play your best game. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, you know, I don't know if I would call this a chess match. You know, if it was a chess match, it would seem like Mahomes got up after his first move and Tom Brady whipped over the board and claimed checkmate. That's more how I would have compared the game to. But, Noah, let's go over to you and hear some of your thoughts on the Super
3: Bowl. First off, am I the only one that noticed Trevor called Gronk Grunk? Was was I the only one that noticed that, or did anyone else <laughs> catch that?
0: I did not notice that, but if you did, it might have been your uh, your audio. It might have been a little little fuzzy. No, now. no, no. I'm gonna
1: go with that. I'm going with that. Noah. He called him Grunk. He All called right, whatever. Grunk. I like. In that terms a lot. of the
3: Super Bowl, Brady and Grunk just carried the Bucks like they've done so many times for the uh, <laughs> for the Patriots. Um, it was a rather boring game. Um, you know, every time you thought the Chiefs would get it going, they didn't and the bucks defense made play after play which is essentially like Trevor said you know a perfect time to play their best footballs in the biggest game of the season.
1: Mhm. 100%. Ben, final thoughts on the Super Bowl before we move on.
2: Yeah, so I just have a couple quick things to say. My first thing is that I'm sitting here a week after the Super Bowl extremely embarrassed because I said that the Chiefs were going to destroy the uh, the Buccaneers. I thought they I thought the Chiefs would win by at least two touchdowns. And that might be one of my, my worst predictions I've ever made in my entire life, because I wasn't even close on that one. I said, I said, I'm not a betting man, but if I, if I was, I'd put a lot of money on the Chiefs to cover the three points that they were projected to win by. And I was so wrong. Um, and not surprising, I'm, I'm typically wrong. More often than not, I'm way wrong on my predictions that I give on this podcast. So I guess, you know, if you're listening to this, it's, it should be expected at this point. Um, but honestly, my biggest takeaway, and I love Tom Brady. I, I, I've said that many times. He's one of my favorite athletes. But in my opinion, I don't think he should have been MVP of the Super Bowl. I get it. He's the quarterback. He played well. I would have given the MVP to the entire Bucs defense because I was so impressed with the way they played. Um, Todd Bowles did a fantastic job against – I mean, you limit the Chiefs. This Chiefs team with all these weapons to no touchdowns, nine points total. I was so impressed. I really couldn't get over um, how impressed I was, how awesome they played, and how fun it, it was to watch them You know, force Patrick Mahomes to be running for his life seemingly every single play. Um, it really was – I mean, it was one of the more dominant – Defensive performances I've seen in a Super Bowl in a really long time. So, I mean, I was just so impressed with the Bucks' defense. It's probably my biggest takeaway is just what they were able to do to a, a Chiefs offense that we've seen for multiple years now just murder defenses and absolutely embarrass them. And defensive seemingly have no stops for this offense. And the Bucks seem to have done everything right um last Sunday because they, they did an amazing job. And I guess, you know, the old mantra defense wins championships is still. True, I was talking with a friend a, you know, a couple months ago about how maybe that's not even the case anymore. It seems like you know, the NFL is offense now. and I think mm-hmm. in the Super, Super Bowl 55, at least, we saw that uh, defense, I think, was the big reason why the Bucks were able to, to come away with such a, a big win because their defense was phenomenal.
1: Yeah, no, I 100% agree. Let's move on to a little bit of a different sport and level. We'll go to some college basketball topics, um, of course, because we have Noah with us today. Um, so we're going to start off with this. I think... You know, this has been a weird year of college basketball collectively. But we've seen a lot of these really, really good teams: Duke, Kentucky, uh, North Carolina, Kansas. A lot of the blue bloods, Michigan State. Although they're not a blue blood, they're just trash. A lot of these blue blood schools and schools that are typically pretty good doing really, really poorly. So, Trevor, I'm going to start off with you. What do you think the issue is with these top tier talent teams and just not doing well this year at all?
0: Yeah, it's it's really tough to figure out. Um, obviously, like you said, Duke, Kentucky you know north carolina even kansas although they, they're still good but they definitely are having a down year michigan state as well even though yeah like you said they're not really a blue blood it's tough to figure out what they're the not. issue is let's not classify them <laughs> as that let's not do that yeah i think it's tough to figure out what the issue is you could argue okay is it less time that they had to prepare for the season is it less less practice time that they have obviously all of these uh programs are known for their great coaching so is it like Uh, the less time to prepare is it less practice time is it just the unorganization of kind of like you know if you have a uh, someone to test positive then you have to you know you know potentially shut down for a couple weeks like what Mm -hmm. exactly is it but at the same time other programs have dealt with the same thing um, we've seen I think it's it's tough I think with certain programs it's a little bit easier to figure out for me like with um, I would say like with Michigan State for example um, I think their issue is just simply they lost uh, their best player, one of their best players of all time that they've ever had in program history and Cassius Winston, uh, the leader of their team. I think losing him is huge. Um, and I think that's definitely done a big number on their team. It's not the only reason that they're as bad as they are, but it's definitely a pretty big one um, with Duke. I think their talent is still good, but it's not quite as good as we've seen in past years. Um, you know, and I and I just think again. I think it is a little bit of maybe of that prep time, but it, it's really difficult to figure out. I don't know, Noah. Do you have any anything that you would maybe point to here,
3: Trevor? You you said it's you know it's hard to figure out. I I'm going to disagree with that because you look at the teams in the top five, top ten. It's all teams that have veteran presence that have junior senior laden teams. The Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina have all veered to the one and done basketball in the last few years and in a year that's been as unpredictable as 2020 was, that's not going to work because all the top teams now, they have a culture. They have some sense of, you know, continuity and stability. You know, you can say that Duke has some underclassmen, but it's, you know, or some upperclassmen, pardon me, that are, you know, that were there or whatever to build the culture, but they weren't getting significant minutes. They didn't necessarily um, know the style of play as well as, you know, the guys that were here the last couple of years. So I think it simply comes down to, in a time like this, it's the the veterans, the seniors, the juniors, the continuity and the stability that the programs that are ahead, Gonzaga, Baylor, um, Villanova, even though they just lost, um, Oklahoma has veteran leaders. Um, You know, I think an exception there is Texas, because while there are some young players on their team, again, it comes back to veteran leadership. So, I, to, In my opinion, it comes down to the stability and the continuity that some of the programs had in place, and um, I don't think it has anything to do with coaching because the coaching styles are staying the same. It's, it's, um, it's the environment around what's going on, not the basketball.
0: Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I think you're totally right about that. I mean, just you know, we've seen like Iowa; they have a bunch of seniors. Obviously, Gonzaga they have they have a combination talent and experience, which is uh, a deadly combination. So, I totally agree with you.
1: Yeah, I I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I was going to ask you from like a coaching perspective, you kind of just gave the answer though um, about you know how that would affect it. But let's get into some cod basketball games. Um, and again, Trevor, I'll throw this over to you. We got your West Virginia Mountaineers. Uh, having a rough ending, uh, to say the least, against the Oklahoma Sooners. So why don't you break down this game a little bit
0: for us? Yeah, so this was a really good game um, for sure. Obviously, went into double overtime. And up until, uh, I think, the end of regulation, it, w- it was a really good game. And then once you got into overtime, you could just tell like how tired both these teams were. A lot of sloppy play, a lot of turnovers um a lot of just like bad shot selection that we started to see as we got into overtime um but nevertheless this was a good game overall I was very impressed by uh, Austin Reeves in particular from Oklahoma as uh, Noah mentioned they're one of these teams that's very experienced you got Brady Manick, you got Austin Reeves and Austin Reeves I mean he played out of his mind in this game he had 28 points nine rebounds seven assists Uh, 50% from the floor. You know, he's just a very patient player. Um, Pretty much, it seemed like he always made the right play, you know. There was only, like, one time where I noticed, okay, he pulled up early in the shot clock from three. Maybe he shouldn't have done that. But other than that, I thought he was a very patient player, and um, he played very well. And then when you have someone like Brady Manick who can step out and shoot the three... Um, and you have someone like maybe a Derek Culver, who's more of like a standard five, you know, he, he's not as quick to react. He's not as great at, you know, kind of getting out to the three point line to, uh, to guard that. So they have a lot of different weapons, uh, that make them a very dangerous team. I, i I was really impressed by Oklahoma.
1: Yeah. I, I feel like Brady Manicus has just been there forever. Like I yeah. feel like, because I remember him playing with Trey young. I feel like he's really been there a long time. Uh, no, any, any thoughts on this game before we move on to the next game?
3: No, like uh, like Trevor said, Austin Reeves was far and away the best player on the floor in that game yesterday, no matter, you know, it didn't matter how many points Miles McBride or uh, how many rebounds Derek Culver had, it was all Austin Reeves.
1: hmm 100%. Let's move on to our next game. We have Creighton versus Villanova that I think this happened yesterday. Yeah. Is that, is that correct, Trevor? I think it was yesterday. 86-70, yep. um, to 70, a little bit of a beatdown by Creighton, number 19 versus number 5. What what happened with Villanova in this game?
0: Yeah, so Villanova they've been interesting. I, it seems like every time I watch them, I seem to catch them when they're playing their worst. They, I mean, they're always good, right? They find ways ways to win game. They have Jay Wright. They have you know Colin Gillespie who is a veteran. They have James uh, Robinson Earl, very talented. But they're like they, there's something missing there. Like I I'm not super impressed by them compared to some of these other top teams. Um, and, and they just, yesterday they didn't shoot very well. You know, I think that's probably the, the big thing in yesterday's game. They only shot 38% from the field, 31 from three. Um, so it's, you know, it's tough. Obviously Colin Gillespie, um, he's definitely improved as a player, but we haven't seen him fully take the leap, like with some of these other previous Villanova guards, like a Josh Hart, a Jalen Brunson, um, Archie Diacono, some of these other guys, uh, so I don't know. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see with Villanova going forward. And then with uh, Creighton, I, I just think they're an awesome shooting team. Uh, they, they made 12 threes yesterday, 46%. I mean, they're just really good. You got Balik, who made uh, 6 of 8 from 3 yesterday at 20 points. Zagorowski has been a really good player all year. So Creighton, I mean, both these teams are very good. Both, both these teams are going to be um, – they both could be Sweet 16 teams. I wouldn't be surprised about that. Um, but I, I was really impressed uh, with Creighton with their shooting. their I think it gives them the ability to beat anyone, even a Gonzaga or a Baylor, if they're uh, shooting really well.
1: Mm, of course, of course. So I'm gonna move on to the next game, but we're gonna start with Noah this time. Virginia versus North Carolina. Virginia won sixty to fifty-eight, um, and it, it you know Virginia obviously is super super defensive team. We see North Carolina just continuing to spiral. They're twelve and seven now uh no what are your similar thoughts on both of these teams
3: well for virginia it's been the same thing technically they still are the defending champs and they still have guys from that uh team jay huff and uh kihei clark i believe are still on that team and they added uh one of the hauser twins sam or joey hauser trevor you know which one's on sam Sam? okay they have Sam, Sam sam hauser on virginia who's a stretch four um but for UNC, it's the same problem last year or this year that they had last year. They just simply are not good enough. You know, the the talent they bring in simply isn't comparable to the rest of the ACC, especially now um, you're seeing Florida State start to pick it up. You are you know, Florida State and Virginia are kind of mo- making their way to the top of the ACC. Um, so in that essence, UNC is just simply not doing a good enough job bringing in talent. As for Virginia, um, Anytime you have you play against a team that controls the pace as well as Virginia does, it's going to be
1: a tough night. <clears throat> yes, hundred percent, Trevor. Your thoughts on this game?
0: Yeah, I think when you get into um, when you get stuck playing Virginia style, it's always going to be tough to um, you know overcome that and beat them. You know, I mean, when you obviously you can't win a game getting held to forty eight points. I mean, North Carolina. They shot like 13 percent from three. They made two out of 16 yep. threes, and that's insane. Obviously, we know what Virginia is capable on the defensive end. It's it's just it's to be expected every single year um, for the past you know eight to 10 years. Like it's it just is what it is, and then. On the offensive end, yes, Virginia occasionally can have issues um, scoring, but they do still have uh, some experience. you got KiA Clark, Jay Hoff. Um, now you add Sam Hauser, who is a really good shooter in this game. Uh, Hauser had 17 points, four of six from three. So, you know, they still, they still have a decent amount of talent, and, you know, they're one of those teams up there like they are pretty much every year, and they are still the defending champions, you know, so – I think that's definitely uh something to to mention and i think virginia they're they're consistent they're always up there and i think that's i mean the way we've seen duke and carolina kind of regress i think virginia you know for the next five ten or so years and they've already i think been it for the past five years but i think virginia has established themselves as the best team in the acc and i think consistently um, they they will be the best uh, team in the ACC. They are now the powerhouse in that conference, I think.
1: It's crazy to think about a conference that has Duke and North Carolina. I mean, the, arguably the two most successful I and mean, just big programs. And, you know, we're claiming Virginia's on top. Before we leave college basketball for the day, Noah, I want to ask you, who is going to win it all this year, in your opinion? From right this year's standpoint right now, who would you have taking the, uh, the championship at the end of the year? I
3: gotta, go <clears throat> I gotta go with Gonzaga. Uh, they're just simply better than everyone. I don't know how else to put it. Uh, Jalen Suggs has played himself into the number one, into the top pick conversation. Uh, Corey Kispert, in my opinion, should be Player of the Year in college basketball. Drew Timmy took a ginormous step forward, and they probably have the best six man in the country in Andrew Nembard, who left Florida, a starting point guard position in Florida, to go play in Gonzaga. Um, they are just simply better than everyone, but I also wouldn't count out Baylor, their trio of guards, um, Macy Oteague, Jared Butler, and Mark Vitale, or I, however you pronounce his name, um, they're, that's a trio that's as tough to beat as anybody, so I think you know between Baylor and Gonzaga, um, all I really want is to see those two teams play each other, because that's going to be one, one heck of a college basketball game.
1: Yeah, no, that's going to be I, – I hope we can get that in the end. I really, really do because that will be a really fun game to watch. Um, but let's move on to some NBA topics. Ben, we haven't hit from you in a little bit. So uh, we got the Nets and Warriors, Nets winning 134-117. Uh, the Nets seem pretty pretty darn good with uh, Harden. I know Kyrie said that Harden can take point guard. He'll be the shooting guard. Obviously,
2: Kyrie wants to shoot some more. Uh, what are your thoughts on these two teams this year? I mean – Again, and we've talked a lot about the Nets this year, at least I have. And, again, they're, they're fun to watch, and they're, they're winning. and we, we They're a good team. We, we knew that they were going to win. Um, and, and, again, what I think what it really comes down to is how well they can play under pressure when it counts in the playoffs. And that's still a question that I think I have and a lot of people have about the Nets is can they win when it counts, when they're playing a team, you know, the same team night in and night out in a seven-game series, you know, and games are on the line and you got to figure out who's going to take the final shot, stuff like that. Um, I don't. I still have questions about the Nets. Do I? Do I think they're a great team? Of course, they're a great team. They have three really good players. Um, they're definitely one of the most talented teams in the NBA, and they're playing like it right now. For the Warriors, the Warriors are, are an interesting team because while Steph Curry is playing phenomenal and he's played phenomenal all year, and it seems like he's kind of back to the Steph Curry that we haven't seen in a couple years, I still have questions about: Is that enough? I mean. Are you going to have to have Steph Curry scoring 35 points a night for them to be relevant? Because, I mean, right now they're sitting at one game over 500. They're sitting at the eighth seed uh, in, in a really difficult Western Conference. I just don't know if if that's going to be enough to, to get them even into the playoffs at this point. Again, we're I mean, we're not even halfway through the season yet, but, but we have a, de- a decent sample size under our belts here. And I just think if it's going to take Steph Curry scoring 40 points a night to get them to be relevant, I mean, it's, they're going to have a hard time doing anything uh, when it comes to the playoffs, so I still have questions about this Warriors team. Obviously, they're missing Klay Thompson, which is a huge piece um, of their puzzle. But I just I I think if 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 Steph Curry's gonna have to continue to play this well, and I'm not saying he can't continue to play as well as he has so far this year, I just don't know um, if that's gonna be enough. I, I do think they're gonna have to have other people step up, and they have weapons. They they drafted James Wiseman. We I mean they still have Draymond Green, who is a, a good player, so. They are a good team. They're just, I mean, obviously they're nowhere near as good as they were when Kevin Durant was there. They they would right. love to have Klay Thompson back. And I just don't know if Steph Curry can continue to play as well as he had for the entire year and, and get them to be any sort of relevant uh, when playoff time comes. So I definitely have some questions about this Warriors team. Um, but, again, Steph Curry's awesome. He's fun to watch. Um, I, I, as much as I didn't like him when he was going against LeBron every year in, in the in the finals, I, I, he's fun to watch. I love watching him play. He's great for the game of basketball, and I hope he continues to put up forty points a game. But I just I just don't see it happening.
1: Yeah, I completely understand that, uh, Trevor. I'm going to throw it over to you now. Uh, any comments on this game or either of these two teams?
0: Yeah, I think on this game, the thing that stood out to me was James Harden's James Harden's. Uh, ability to pass the ball. I mean, he had 16 assists in, 16. 16 assists in this yep. game, which is insane. Uh, there were a few of those passes were that were insane. He had one that was kind of a lob, uh, like across the court, like pretty much full court pass to Kevin Durant, who laid it in. He had another really nice one, kind of like a no look. So, it, you know, it's really great to see. I think this is exactly what James Harden should be doing. Um, on this Nets team, I think, you know, I mean, he's definitely a better passer than Kyrie Irving. I think it only makes sense for him to be the point guard. So I like that uh, that's happening. And overall, there's really not a ton to be concerned about with their offense. Now with their defense, it's kind of the same thing that I've talked about before, which is like, are they going to be able to make another move for like a a five man who can, you know, match up with a Joel Embiid or a Anthony Davis? Are they going to be able to make that move? Because... Uh, If they're going to be able to beat these teams, they might need someone like that. So that's really the concern I'm going to have, and it's going to be the concern I'm going to have going forward. It's just going to be interesting to see what happens with that.
1: Noah, in in your time playing basketball, would you have been able to get 16 assists in a game?
3: No, absolutely not. But here's the thing about the Nets, right? (laughs) First off, (laughs) people forget that a few years ago, James Harden led the league in assists. Right, so it's not like he's 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 and not been true. able to pass. He's always had this skill. Houston played to his wanting of um, you know wanting to do the ice dough ball. Another thing with the Nets is um, I'm going to have to de- disagree with Ben. I don't think the problem is going to be who's going to take the last shot, right? Because Harden's already deferring to Kyrie and KD, and you know when it comes down to it, it's going to be KD. The problem is the defense. It should
2: be right, yeah, definitely.
3: The the problem is the defense when they traded Jared Allen. Um, Thank God the Cavs get him because I think he's going to be a steal. But we can talk about that another time. Um, When they traded Jared Allen, a big chunk of their defense went away. DeAndre Jordan, you know, he's only 32, but that's kind of old, especially for a player whose main skill sets came off of his athleticism. So he's not necessarily the same shot-blocking threat he was, but he can still go out there and, you know, hang down low with, with those bigs you said, Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid. You know, he can still hang out down low with them, but he won't be able to do it for 30, 35 minutes a night like they're going to need him. So I do agree that they need someone else, um, you know, a veteran center to be able to come in and bang down low. As for the Warriors, um, you know, this year is kind of, you know, they're just getting their new guys acclimated to the system. And the most interesting thing with Steph Curry is... Is he's not changing the way he plays his basketball. So, with less talent, he's still continuing to do the things he did at his unanimous MVP year in 2016. You know, he's not running more isolations, maybe a a little bit more, but not, um, you know, James Harden and Houston isolation. Steph Curry is still doing what makes him Steph Curry moving without the basketball, um, creating open space with his handles, you know, pulling up from the logo. You know, so with the Warriors, they're going to be relevant simply because Steph Curry's must-watch basketball every time he steps on the floor, and some of their young guys are pretty exciting to watch.
1: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with with all, pretty much everything you said. You're really on the ball today, No, I like the uh, analysis, but let's move on to the Jazz and the Heat. The Jazz might be the
0: best team in the NBA. Trevor, would you agree with that statement? Um, well, no, I, I would not agree with that. It seems like they're they're playing like it right now, but obviously w- once you get to playoff time, it becomes a little different. I think the Lakers, I don't, again, I've talked about this before, like I don't know if you <coughs> call it like cruise control, but it seems like at times that they're not fully going like 100%. It feels like they might have another gear. So uh, consistently I'm going <coughs> to keep saying that the Lakers are the best team, but – the Jazz have been very impressive. I don't necessarily think this is just like a regular season thing, like we've seen with the Bucks the past couple years. I think they are a very good team, and I think their team fit makes sense because, you know, this addition of Mike Conley, and and now he's right now he's out, going to be out a couple games uh, with a minor injury. But this Mike Conley addition, um, now <clears throat> once he's fully healthy, he's back. He's been very good. Uh, you know and that's just in addition to Donovan Mitchell who's a rising young star in this league one of my favorite players to watch you have Rudy Gobert who does what he does uh shot blocking very good defensively he is someone that can not stop Anthony Davis but he can match up with Anthony Davis at least and you know i think if we're just talking like who is the best matchup in the west for the Lakers I think it's probably utah i think they're the best uh i think they're the team with the best chance of beating lakers so uh with that being said i think that makes them an interesting team to keep your eye on um obviously they have bogdanovich who's a great shooter he can do some different things and they're a very unselfish team overall uh mitchell conley bogdanovich joe Ingles, all those guys very unselfish they're not trying to play iso ball it's it's great team basketball and it's great team defense so it's it's fun to watch they put a beat beating on the Miami Heat last night, um, which my, the Heat have some issues right now. They're trying to work through, uh, but the Jazz are very impressive.
1: So, Noah, would, would you think that right now the Jazz can win a championship?
3: I'm going to be honest. There's only a couple teams, I think, in the NBA that can win a championship right now simply because it's the Lakers' championship to lose. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like Trevor said, I do think they're coasting right now. But if they're coasting, they're twenty-one and six in coasting. You know, it's not like they're you know hovering around five hundred and then they're going to turn it up when it you know in April or May. No, they're twenty-one and six in coasting. So it's Yes, Utah might be the best team in the league right now. No, Utah is the best team in the in the league right now. Sunday, February fourteenth, fourteenth, twenty twenty-one. Utah is the best team in the NBA right now. But the championship is the Lakers to lose. Anthony Davis is the best teammate LeBron has had um, in his career. And I loved having him, Kyrie Irving. You know, no disrespect to Dwayne Wade. Anthony Davis is simply the best teammate LeBron has had in his career. And around his best teammate, he probably has one of his best supporting casts in terms of Dennis Schroeder, Montrezl Harrell, I don't know, Alex Caruso, whoever else comes off that bench. But... In terms of teams that can win a championship, I think in the West, it's the Lakers. In the East, I think it's going to be the Sixers or Bucks, simply because of Joel Embiid's playing the best basketball of his career right now, and um, it's around the same minutes. His Mm -hmm. conditioning is better. He's getting to the free throw line more. Um, He doesn't look as lethargic on the court, and they went back to what worked for them, and that's getting spacing around Embiid and Simmons. Um, Seth Curry's shooting near 50-50-90 or 50-50-100. I saw the other day. 50 from the field, 50 from three, 100% from the line. When that lineup of Embiid, Simmons, Tobias Harris, Seth Curry, Danny Green's on the floor, they're a hard team to beat. They're in a little bit of a slide right now, lost a couple games. But you're seeing again with Tobias Harris also with Doc Rivers as his coach, he's, he's playing at a level that got him that max contract. So I, th- I think it's the Sixers and Bucks out east, and it's the Lakers out west.
1: Mm-hmm, of course. Um, so let's kind of keep it moving a little bit and go to some of our biggest surprises or disappointments. So I think I'm going to start with you, Ben. Do you have a big surprise or big disappointment in the NBA this year?
2: Yeah, so I'd I have I have a I'd say I have a disappointment. And my biggest disappointment is not actually an NBA team. Um, okay. It's a former guest on this podcast. Shout out to Aaron Weaver. Because he made a prediction that the Cavaliers were going to make the playoffs this oh, no. year, and right now they're sitting at ten. Oh, no. They're sitting at ten and seventeen right now, and again we're 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 creeping on the halfway point in this in this shortened NBA season. So I I, I get the Cavs have some time, but I don't think his prediction is looking too hot right now. When he made that prediction, I said it's not a terrible prediction. You know, Eastern Conference, <clears> you can slide in under five hundred, but right now it's sitting at ten and seventeen. Uh, I, I think the biggest disappointment has to be Aaron Weaver's prediction on this podcast a couple weeks ago because it's not looking too good for his Cleveland Cavaliers at the moment. <sighs> I, I think they're tied
1: for the third worst team in the NBA. Yeah, I'm actually going to go with a big surprise. I'm going to go with the Phoenix Suns. They're currently sitting at the four seed, sixteen to nine. They have almost the exact same record as the Clippers, um, and it just seems like they've been an incredibly impressive team. Donovan, or excuse me, uh, uh, Devin Booker has been having, of course, an incredible season he's averaging 24 and a half points a game um you see Chris Paul who's I mean just an animal of a competitor this team seems like it's able to compete I don't think they're gonna win a championship um but they got a lot of young talent um and I I think that they're gonna be able to compete and play for a playoff spot Noah biggest surprise or disappointment or honestly if you want to do both it's it's your episode so you get
3: first off I'm gonna have to disagree with you that the Suns are a surprise because they got Chris Paul who it seems every you know and in an essence, he's like LeBron James. The older he gets, it seems he continues to play better or yeah. in one case just true. continues nice to true. get back to his bread and butter before he went to Houston, which is being a leader, being a facilitator, and teaching these guys how to be clutch. Um, but my biggest surprise mm-hmm. is probably the Charlotte Hornets. Simply not because of LaMelo Ball, because in my opinion, I thought LaMelo Ball was going to be the best rookie. Um, he's having a bigger impact than I did initially think he would, but it's just... You know, one, Gordon Hayward returning to an all-star caliber play has been huge. You know, some people are going to look at it last off season as, oh, the Charlotte Hornets aren't really going anywhere. Why would you spend money, uh, you know, big money on a veteran like Hayward? Well, where one, where else was that money going to go? To some other veterans who are bums? No, spend it on someone who is actually worth that money in Gordon Hayward. Um, and then simply, you know... If you think about it really the hornets are just a couple pieces away from being serious threats I think they just need to shore up the middle of their court I think PJ Washington has some potential but Cody Zeller um, love him because he went to Indiana University but he's not going to be at your starting center on a playoff caliber team you get a you get a solid you know five man have Cody Zeller be the backup he could play backup on a competitor but Gordon Hayward meshing as well as he did, with the Hornets. They have three really good guards in Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier, and LaMelo Ball. You throw in Gordon Hayward, P.J. Washington, they're, in my opinion, they are one or two pieces away from being a serious, um, you know, a consistent playoff contender and a serious um, conference finals threat.
1: No, are you telling me Bismack Biombo cannot be a quality starting five in the NBA at his age? Let's
3: put it this way. The last time Bismack Biyombo. Was a quality starting center, the Cleveland Cavaliers won a championship. I rest my case.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, uh, Trevor, your are last up. Your biggest uh, surprise or disappointment?
0: Yeah, so I like the Hornets pick because I, I do agree they have been uh, surprising to me in a good way. Um, I, I've And they've also been fun to watch. Like, I've really enjoyed, uh, in the couple times that I have managed to catch a Hornets game, seeing LaMelo with Graham and Rozier. They don't always play all three guards at once, but sometimes they occasionally do. And um, I root for Rozier just because he's Northeast Ohio. He's from Shaker Heights. I've always rooted for him. And then Lamelo, we obviously got to see uh, play, and you know Lamelo just has just naturally has a very fun game to watch. Obviously, with his creative passing, um, you know wh- whether the shots are going in or not, it's it's definitely an experience. And then Devontae Graham has been incredible. Um, you know, obviously he had that great career at Kansas, so they're fun to watch. They've been a surprise. Obviously, I mentioned the Jazz; they're another one. Uh, the disappointment, though, I got to mention, it's the Washington Wizards. It's unfortunate. Um, but Russell Westbrook has not had a good start at all. He had the one really good game, but other than that, you know, it's hard to tell. I know he's coming off of that, in, that the injury, um, but it, it hasn't been great. I was hoping that he could try to take a step back, and I guess he has to some extent, but really just try to get back into distributing the ball more and um, not forcing up as many of these threes because um, we know he's not a very good three-point shooter, but it's it hasn't quite happened. It, you know, it's... I think his athleticism has taken a little bit of a drop off and earlier Noah mentioned a point about like some of these players, you know, once they get in their thirties, if they were a player that's really known for their athleticism, that's like one of their biggest uh, main skills that once they get in their thirties, that's something, you know, if they start losing it, which they usually do, then their, uh, their talent and their, Uh, production can drop off pretty quickly. So I think we're starting to see that a little bit with Russell Westbrook. I'm hoping that he can turn around, but the Wizards are definitely my biggest disappointment.
1: Yeah, um, I don't know if... I think our podcast collectively is not huge Russell Westbrook fans, but um, before we get into our last little segment, I want to ask about the MVP race. Noah, I'm going to hand this one off to you. Who do you think is the MVP of the league right now?
3: Right now, I... um... I think it's Joel Embiid career high in points, um, 13 rebounds. He has the Sixers in first place. He's playing the best basketball of his career. Um, he's probably my pick right now. Um, I, you know, if it's not him, it has to be the King. Um, you know, LeBron is just simply, you know, kicking father, kicking father time behind right now. Um, in terms of his, his productivity hasn't dropped. He's he's still a threat every night to go out and get a triple-double um, or to go out and score 45 points. You don't know with him. He's, he's just simply um, making a case for the greatest player of all time. Um, and I think you can even argue Steph Curry and Kevin Durant should be in there too. But um, if I have to pick one, I'm going with Embiid.
1: <clears throat> so... Here's the here's the thing. It's 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 so clear to me every single year who should win the MVP award. Obviously LeBron James should win the award, so I gotta go with him again. Um, you know it doesn't even matter how old this man is. He's still gonna play better basketball than pretty much everyone on the court. He's got 11 double doubles on the year, three triple doubles. I mean the man's an animal. It's gotta be LeBron. Uh, ben, who who's your MVP pick? It better be the same as mine.
2: Yeah, so I think I'm gonna have to go with Joel Embiid, and I agree with Noah. Like. Mm. Obviously, every year it should be LeBron, and LeBron's having a great year. I mean, he's shooting, like, 40% from three or something crazy, which is way better than what he usually does. Um, and, again, every, every year you know you can make a case for LeBron, but since we know that doesn't matter how well LeBron plays, a lot of times he, he kind of is looked at in a different way than every other player. He has to play exceptionally well, even for his standards, to win MVP. Um, so, with that being said, I mean, I, I feel like I have to go with Joel Embiid. For everything that Noah said, I mean, he's averaging, like, almost 30 points a game. He's shooting, like, 40% from three. Uh, his, I'm not looking at his stats, but like I know his field goal percentage is really high. I'm pretty sure. So like, I mean, he's just if we're looking at every year, the pattern that we've seen these last couple of years of players um, that win MVP. Typically, what it is is <clears throat> it's somebody not not LeBron, even though LeBron plays well every year, and it's somebody that is having an abnormally well year. And I think Joel Embiid fits that fits that category perfectly. He's playing better than he ever has before, and he's on a first place team. And typically, that seems to be the criteria um, for winning an MVP. You have to be on a team that is, is a contender for, for the championship. So I think as of right now, I'd probably have to go with Joel Embiid.
1: Trevor,
0: why don't you uh, finish this out here? Just, just say it's LeBron and let's move on. <laughs> No, um, you know, LeBron, LeBron's definitely up there. He certainly has a case. Uh, like Ben mentioned, I'm glad, Ben, uh, you pointed out the three-point percentage. He's shooting 39% from three, which is incredible. Um, for a player that already has essentially every other phase of the game down um, mm-hmm. to then yeah. get uh, gain, become a pretty good three-point shooter, I mean, that's incredible. He's been very good on a 21-16. He definitely has a case, but I do think Joel Embiid deserves it. The Philadelphia 76ers, they're the one seed in the East. Uh, I believe they're, I think 18 and 9, I want to say. So they're they're right up there as well with the records. And Joel Embiid has insane numbers, about 30 and 11, shooting 54%. It's it's pretty incredible. So I think he has the edge over guys like LeBron, maybe a Jokic, a Steph, a Durant. But I, I think it's Embiid's right now.
1: Gotcha. All right. Well, uh, respectfully, you guys are all wrong, but we'll move on to our final topic, which I think is going to be a special one because we have Coach Noah on the podcast today. I say we all ask him one question. So everyone can get a little bit more of an insight into coaching. Uh, so Ben, I, I know you have a question already prepared. What What's something you got to ask Coach Noah?
2: Yeah, so of course. So Noah's been on the podcast before. Um, listeners know that he was fortunate enough to be you know, something that Brandon and I wish we could have done, something Trevor did for a year. He was a manager for um, Ohio University's basketball team out there in Athens, Ohio. So Noah, I want to know now that you're in this next phase of your career um, at this prep school in New Jersey, not North Carolina. I'm glad we specified that. New Jersey, we yeah, figured it out. out. in New Jersey, um, I want to know what is, in your opinion, the biggest takeaway. And maybe it's not one, maybe it's multiple things. But what is the biggest takeaway that you took away from your experience, you know, being a, a team manager in the MAC at Ohio University? What do you think is the biggest takeaway that you took from that experience? moving forward into this next stage of your career at this prep school?
3: So probably the biggest takeaway I've had. Um, so as an assistant coach slash, you know, I live with the players. I live in a team house with the players and, you know, there's, there's some operation stuff that goes in. And for anyone that knows me, I'm not mm-hmm. into operations. It's always been basketball. Um, you know, and I think the takeaway um, a takeaway I had that um, you know I was taught as a manager is when someone asks you to do something, you always say yes, no matter what it is. Just say yes and figure it out. If you have questions, ask them because it shows you're trying. And um, you know that's something I've learned here. Anytime my head coach or uh, you know program director asks me to do something, I I always say yes. One because it shows them that I'm willing to work hard and do anything, and two because. Now that I'm a coach, what else am I going to do? You know? Uh, you know, what else am I going to do? You know, this is my life. Um, I got nothing else to do um, except basketball and make sure everything's running uh, smoothly. So the biggest takeaway I have is, um, you know, when someone asks you for something, whether it's a scout report, do the laundry, um, watch film, drive kids places, it's always yes and then figure it out.
1: And honestly, I want to I wanna speak to that because that's kind of, that's always how you've been. Even back in high school when you were managing the team, that's always been your mentality about, you know, you just want to be there to get the little things done, to get to the bigger things, which, you know, is very admirable and I applaud about you. Uh, so I want to get to my question, Noah. I want to know what has been your favorite part about being a basketball coach at like a higher level than just, you know, your typical rec league?
3: It's definitely, um, you know, putting in the time and preparation, you know, it, um is a high school manager. I didn't really do anything. You know, everybody knows it. Brandon knows it. Um, everybody from high school knows. I didn't really do anything as a high school manager. I did get a medal when we won a district championship, but you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really <laughs> do anything. Um, in college, you know, from freshman to senior year, there was more and more stuff to be done, and I learned more and more um, stuff needed to be done. And then, um, you know, but in college, it was more of the operation stuff. You know, there was no, you know basketball side of things and I get here to to um CCP and it's definitely the you know preparing scouting reports um watching film doing stats you know all basketball things um you know and you know it's a little hard when you know you prepare scouting reports and then you lose cuz then it's like shit did i not um you know make a good enough scouting report um and at the end of the day you know you um, your job is to put the players in the best position they can to win. If they don't execute, it's on them. Um, but you can. The goal is with a scouting report is to always make sure they're um, the most prepared they can be. Um, so definitely, scouting reports and uh, watching film are some fun things. Um, that was a big tangent. Kind of forgot your question, but I do know uh, the answer was scouting reports.
1: <laughs> no, that was a good tangent. That was a good tangent. You, you answered the question uh, very well, Noah. Uh, Trevor, final question before we kind of wrap up the podcast for Yeah,
0: so I guess just in general, I was kind of curious about like the day to day of what your job looks like. Could you just uh, take me through maybe like a typical like practice day um, and then a game day as well, just like in kind of how the day to day, I guess, changes between the two for you?
3: So, practice day, we're going to wake up. We'll say practice. You want like a we'll do practice at um at ten thirty. Practice ten thirty to one thirty. Wake up at seven. And here at CCP the players gotta do every morning five hundred push-ups and five hundred sit-ups. So wake up, they do the push-up wow. sit-ups. Um, you know, make sure they get protein. Do you and- gotta do that? <laughs> yeah, right. No. Um, come on. <laughs> um so wake up, do push up sit-ups. We got, um, you know, make sure they eat a healthy breakfast, get some protein in them, uh, make sure they're ready to go from practice. And then at practice, we do um, skill training, develop their skills, um, work on, you know, our play sets, um, you know, get some shots up. And then after practice, you know, give them some recovery time, um, let them heal their bodies, um, rest. Uh, What else we do? Rest. You know some of them are taking um college or taking classes at a community college nearby, so make sure they're on top of their schoolwork um and then they got five hundred more push ups and sit ups at night, so it's a thousand a day wow and then uh there's dinner and then it's just relaxing and um you know watching basketball it's it's basketball boot camp really and then on um on game days yeah on game days we got a uh, – so we'll say games at uh Games at one, wake up at eight. Push up, sit ups, numbers cut in half to two fifty, in the morning. Um, you know, get everyone ready. Get to the get to the facility an hour before the game. Uh, go through warm ups. We have the game. We come back, um, in, in treatment. You know, um, some players. You know at the higher levels they get workout, you know, they lift weights on game day. So here we, you know, push-ups, sit-ups really, you know, it's a small workout compared to what some of the other uh, teams do, some what some of the other leagues do.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Interesting. Yeah, I just I just kind of wanted to hear about I always like to hear about, like, the day-to-day, like, what, what's kind of going mm-hmm. on. Obviously, that must be, a, you know, a pretty big change from being a student manager where obviously you're balancing your schooling as well with that, you know. So it's right. very interesting to hear about
1: yeah, it's 100% on this, which is – it's got to be more fun to do. So I have for one sure, more question, for sure. Brandon.
2: I have one more question. Yeah, yeah. So, Go Noah, ahead. I want your honest answer, and this is something I'm very passionate about. How is the pizza out there on the East Coast? Uh, you're in New Jersey. I'm I'm always more of a New York-style pizza guy anyway, but I want to know, have you had a chance to have some authentic East Coast pizza while you're out there?
3: I'm going to be honest. I have not. Um, oh, dude. All right.
2: I've, I'm, thanks,
3: for, thanks for
1: coming, uh, Noah. Time to wrap up the podcast. <laughs> I guess I'm no
3: longer a friend of the podcast.
1: No, always always a dear friend, but maybe one one day we'll all go out there and have some some New York-style pizza together. Um, But Noah, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. We, of course, always appreciate you having on. We'll definitely be welcoming you back sometime soon. Um, Is there anything you want to shout-out or talk about before we sign off for today?
3: Um, Shout-out OU Bobcats. Should have won the MAC last year. Hopefully they win it this year. Uh,
1: yeah, um, that.
3: yeah what else i don't know. I, th- I think i, I was just saying you're bobcats. always a friend but i don't know anymore go bobcats man that's the only all shout right. out i'm always gonna have
1: just i want everyone to remember the last words said on this podcast are the most important ones don't be there for those last words that trevor gives us but with that being said thank you all so much for listening today we really really appreciate it. of course thank you so much to noah for being on we love having him on great insight into just a great basketball mind um, of course, subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star review if you enjoyed it. Uh, go follow us on Twitter at the Baller, or the link is in the description. But with that being said, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Go
0: Falcons!